confirm everything we're seeing in our practice. The patients are indeed living longer. And there was some subtlety in that early slide that when we treat people a little bit earlier, they tend to live longer. If we wait too late, the lifespan's not as good. He went on to talk about uh, some of the newer information on the pot drug that's about to get approved. He talked a little bit uh, about the cure of the patient, uh, the Berlin patient who had multiple transplants and chemotherapy and some other ways forward. But I think in practice, most all of us are getting a question or two a week from a patient who walks in and says, so can't you cure me? And the answer obviously is not yet. We're headed there. Something what Chris said about the cascade of health care really resonates with uh, uh, DC, really better. But I was particularly intrigued by what he said about so much when to start, uh, but what to start. And I think, to me, the take-home point was that it's not a one-size-fits-all. We, we have to tailor our regimen. We've known this, but now uh, we, we have a much better sense of what type of patient might fit best with a given regimen. But isn't it wonderful how many new options we have and new drugs coming along and a lot of these single-tablet formulations that have multiple drugs in them make our lives and the patient's lives a lot easier. There's some nuances to the quad that the focuses that. I think it's very important to keep in mind that 0.1 to 0.2 milligrams percent increase in creatinine without any change in GFR. That's very important. simply through the uh, effect on that malformed uh, enzyme in the proximal tubule that stops creatinine excretion. But if you do biohexol or other assessments of true glomerular filtration rate, there's no effect. On the other hand, as we treat patients with tenofovir-based regimen, we're sort of vigilant about the creatinine and the estimated creatinine clearance. We're going to see some changes, but expect those in the first two weeks of treatment and then modify from there. Um, he also talked to us about biotemperavir, a other restraint transfer integrase inhibitor. And the key points about biotemperavir is one, that it's one tablet once a day that does not require boosting. It will be co-formulated with The second thing about biotemperature is it has the same metabolism pathway as biotemperature, so that it would probably be a good choice to use in hepatitis C, uh, uh, co-infected patients. Uh, and we'll hear later this afternoon to check 
think I think it's a great point. But here, I wrote an editorial on CID five or six months ago called HIV now entering the Middle Ages, meaning that by 2015, over half the patients with HIV will be over the age of 50. So, so since there aren't enough of us who are heavily immersed in this, my thought is that we create these partnerships with other primary care providers, whereby as they get success and they're on a stable regimen, it will be okay after two years or so to kind of hand them off to internists, the family medicine doctors, nurse practitioners, PAs who are doing mostly primary care. We stay involved with more distance and can intervene based on the of patients that way. That might be one model. But I think you're right. At the beginning of treatment, there's a lot of nuances to assessment, a lot of thoughts about what regimen to start. And that first start is very important. We haven't talked about that. But we want to get the best regimen out of the gate because we want to treat for success. And that takes a little bit more of an assessment of who the patient is and what they're doing. Um, we then heard from Marion Peters, who gave us a wonderful overview of hepatitis C, which is becoming more and more complicated but also exciting. Uh, the interferon regimens are still the mainstay of therapy today. Within a year or two, these direct acting agents are going to be coming along. And I think the major take-home points from the talk is we should really assess the stage of hypnosis to help us make the right decision about the treatment now or wait until the interferon-free regimen is going to be here. And specifically, those who have advanced fibrosis and compensated cirrhosis, that is, no ascites, no albumin that's normal to the better. And albumin or that would be okay to treat them with the interferon-based therapies now. If they have decompensated cirrhosis, get the threat this is not a place for us to intervene. These new drugs that are coming along are really exciting. There's about 40 to 60 of the most track that are in development. And it's just like HIV from the 1990s, except it's a fast-forward like rat detection. And it's really quite exciting to be a part of that. And then Dr. Mazzulli just finished uh, the day of the morning with a, a wonderful view of how the community has really come together. And I think um, we all should be congratulated remarkable effort that's coordinated by many of you, but I think really one of the hopes of this is Holly uh, Greenberg and the, and the uh, CFAR that, that's primarily based out of UW, but all of us at Georgetown, all, all these different institutions around the city, NIH, others, are heavily involved in this, working with the public health in D.C., working with the uh, uh, government in D.C. in a way that really is becoming a for the rest of the country to follow. And as just to kind of finish this up in the morning, um, I really think what we should be doing is, is creating these community-wide partnerships and focusing the research-wise and otherwise on the community because that's where patients live and that's where the virus is being transmitted and getting people into care for the transmission. So all in all, a great morning.